Uh, just five years ago, the Gallup polling organization asked Americans if they still believe in the devil. What percentage do you think said yes? Well, here's a surprise. 61% of Americans said they still believe in a personal devil. Now, that may surprise us very, very much because today everything seems explainable by science, by biology, heredity, and education. And so it is very encouraging for those of us who believe the Word of God to hear that people still believe in the existence of Satan. Billy Graham said he believed in the devil for three reasons. He said, number one, the Bible plainly says he exists. Number two, great scholars have recognized his existence. And number three, said Billy Graham, I see his work everywhere. And I think all of us agree that Satan's work is everywhere. Now here's the question for those of us who are gathered in church this morning that I think is relevant for us. How many of us see his work on us? You see, it's one thing to say, I believe in the existence of the devil. It's another thing to be ready for him when he comes. Here's some questions I think are relevant for all of us. Do we take the devil seriously? Are we prepared for him? Do we know what he's up to? Do we know what his strategy is? Do we know how he attacks? And do we know how to fight him? Well, starting today, I want to take us into those very questions. I'd like to begin a series of messages this morning entitled Satanology 101. You see, theology is the study of God. But Satanology is the study of Satan. And the Bible does both. The Bible teaches us about God, but it also teaches us about Satan. And this morning, I want us to see one of the most comprehensive descriptions of Satan in the Bible. I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. And I want to read verses 8 and 9. And I would encourage you to open your Bible or turn on your Bible, whichever one you do, because this is a very important description of our enemy and how we can be prepared to meet him. Listen to what Peter says, 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Now, you know what Peter is doing here? He's reflecting back on Holy Week, isn't he? He's reflecting back on his own battle with Satan in which he failed miserably. And now he is saying to us, I want you to understand what I learned so that you yourselves can be prepared. Now I want you to notice the way Peter very carefully tells us we can be prepared for our battle with Satan. Number one, we are to recognize Satan. We are to recognize Satan. He calls him here, your adversary, the devil. Now, these two words, adversary and devil, are actually translations of the same Hebrew word in the Old Testament that is pronounced satan, satan. 
Devil comes from the Greek word diabolos. We get our word diabolical from that word. And it is used 21 times in the Greek Old Testament to translate this Hebrew word satan that we call Satan. So devil became the Greek equivalent to the proper name for Satan. In the Old Testament, the name is Satan. But in the Greek world, in the New Testament, it is the devil. And then I want you to notice the description that Peter gives us here. He calls him our adversary. That is a literal translation of the Hebrew word satan, and it is the normal word for an enemy of any kind. But here's the interesting thing. When it is used of Satan in the Old Testament, the definite article is attached. So when we turn to Job chapters 1 and 2, and our enemy appears on the scene, the Bible calls him the Satan. So he is our arch enemy, our greatest enemy. Now all of us, I think, know that in the Old Testament, Satan began as Lucifer. He was the highest of the angelic cherubim. And when he fall, fell, he still contained a very lofty status and his angelic power. So the Old Testament describes him as a superhuman adversaries. The Dead Sea Scrolls call this present age the dominion of Satan. And what did Jesus say? Jesus said he is the ruler of this world. Paul said he is the prince of the power of the air. And why is all of this important for us to recognize? Because Jesus said we are all born with the devil as our father, John 8, 44. Think about that. When you were born spiritually, Jesus said you were born with the devil as your father. And Paul said he is the spirit that works in every non-believer and against every believer, Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 6. And notice the difference there. In the non-believer, Satan works in him, but those of us who have been transferred out of his kingdom into the kingdom of the Son, he does not work within us, but Paul still says he works against us. Pastor Dwight Moody said, I believe that Satan exists for two reasons. Number one, the Bible says so. Number two, I've done business with him. Think about that this morning. Every one of us here in this room this morning has done business with Satan. And Satan does business with us. And he is often so effective, we do not even know how he is working. And that's why the Bible says we must recognize him. Now Peter tells us, as he thinks about his own experience, there's another way that we can be prepared for our enemy. And that is we are to respect Satan. We are to respect him. Peter here in this verse uses the figure of a lion to describe Satan. 
And in the ancient world, lions were viewed as the most ferocious and mighty beasts. They were cruel beasts of prey. And I want you to notice how Peter here develops this imagery of the lion so that we will respect our enemy. Notice he is a lion who prowls. He says the devil prowls about like a lion. And I have to ask this question this morning. What is this image of prowling? Well, isn't it stealth? Isn't it secrecy? Isn't it subtlety? In fact, the very first way that Satan is introduced to us in the Bible is in this way. Genesis 3.1 says about him, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field. Uh, we have a couple of cats in our home. And you ought to watch those cats when they spy a chipmunk out in the yard. They do the same thing every time. They crouch low. They move low across the ground. And they sneak up unsuspecting on these pitiful little creatures. And no matter how fast those chipmunks are, those cats are able to catch them time and time again. Now the Bible is telling us Satan is like that. He's subtle. He's crafty. He's unsuspecting. He is prowling. Pastor Chuck Swindoll says he is a master strategist. And I'll never forget my old prof Howard Hendricks used to say on a regular basis, Satan has been around for thousands of years, and he's a better student of us than we are of him. And so who has the advantage? He does. He knows us better than we know him. Somebody has said this, no enemy is harder to fight than an invisible one, right? No enemy is harder to fight than that one. That's why the Bible says this to us. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against an invisible enemy who is highly organized, someone we cannot see. He is a master strategist. And then I want you to notice, as Peter continues with this metaphor, he gives us a second reason why we are to respect Satan. That is, he is a lion who roars. He is a lion who roars. Let me ask you this morning, why do lions roar? Why do lions roar? Well, you know the answer, don't you? It's because they are hungry. What drives them to roar is hunger. I wonder this morning, how many of us have ever been to a zoo when the lions were roaring? You ever been there? It is heard throughout the entire zoo. If you've been fortunate enough to be there when they are roaring, you say to yourself, what a magnificent sound and creature this is. 
as long as it remains in the pen, right? Because if it's on the loose, that roar is terrifying. It means the lion is ready to stalk. It means he's hungry. Who is Satan after this morning as we think about this? Well, did you notice Peter said someone? He is seeking someone. I think Peter here is reflecting back upon what Jesus said to him that week of Holy Week as he knew what Peter was going to face, and this is what Peter heard from the lips of the Savior. Peter, Satan has demanded to have you, you. Peter himself was the someone. And every one of us here this morning, we are also the someone. You see, Satan does not oppose humanity only generally. He has a personal interest in your destruction and in my destruction. I think we all know lions do not attack the whole herd. They go after one, the weakest, the slowest, the most vulnerable, You see, what the lion is to the fawn, so Satan is to the weak believer, the believer who is unprepared for his attack. Now I want you to notice, finally here, as Peter develops this metaphor of the lion, he says we are to respect Satan because he is a lion who devours. He's a lion who devours. He is seeking someone to devour. Now, brothers and sisters, you need to understand this morning that word devour is a very graphic word. It means to swallow down. It means to eat up. It means with total extinction as a result. This is the very word that is used of the great fish that swallowed Jonah whole. So he is describing here the complete overthrow of our faith. That is Satan's goal. By the way, isn't that the thing we're so concerned about in the lives of our families? That none of them would lose their faith. That none of them would walk away from the Lord and and no longer follow him. That is Satan's goal, and if he cannot overthrow our faith completely, he will weaken it as much as he can. My old professor, Erwin Lutzer, had this to say. He said, no matter how many pleasures Satan offers you, his ultimate intention is to ruin you. Your destruction is his highest priority. We don't think that way very often, do we? We don't think that I have an enemy. And his number one goal, his highest priority is my spiritual destruction. But that is the reality of our battle with Satan. 
There's a very well-known pastor by the name of Gordon MacDonald. And Gordon MacDonald has a wonderful ministry, but many, many years ago, he had a very serious moral fall. He lost his ministry, his pastorate, for a period of time, and the Lord very graciously restored him so that he is now ministering to God's people once again. But he wrote a book about his experience, and the book is entitled, Rebuilding Your Broken World. I want you to listen to what Gordon MacDonald said. A friend of his one day came to him and asked him this question. If Satan were to blow you out of the water, how do you think he would do it? Isn't that an interesting question? Here's what Gordon MacDonald said. I'm not sure I know, but he'd never get me in my personal relationships. That's one place where I have no doubt I'm as strong as you can get. Listen as he continues. A few years after I said that, a chain of seemingly innocent choices became destructive. Choice by choice by choice, each easier to make, each becoming gradually darker, and then my world broke in the very area I had predicted I was safe. Isn't that just like Satan? To ruin us in the very place we believe we do not need to prepare. The great devotional writer Oswald Chambers had this to say. Bible characters never fell on their weak points, but on their strong ones. Unguarded strength is double weakness. What an insight. What an insight. When did Samson fall? It's when he felt he was so invincible, he would never lose his great strength. When did David fall? It's when he felt he was so secure that he could stay home in Jerusalem rather than be out with the army. You see, a strength that is unguarded is a double weakness, and Satan, the great strategist, knows. The believer at this point thinks he is so strong, she is so strong, they will never fail in this area, and therefore that's the very place where he attacks us. Do you see what Peter is saying? Respect him. Respect him. Now fortunately, Satan is not invincible. He is not almighty. The Bible says, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And so it is possible for us to resist him as believers. 
And so that's the final way we prepare. Peter wants us to know, recognize him, respect him. But then finally, this really good news, resist him. Resist him. He says, resist him firm in your faith. Now, Peter here gives to us two very important strategies as we face this ferocious enemy of ours. Number one, prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. Notice what he says here. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Those two words together give us a picture of being vigilant, cautious, careful. The idea here is being spiritually alert and aware. And I think Peter here is reflecting back on his own failure. You remember what Jesus said to Peter. He said, hey Peter, you're thinking like Satan. You're not thinking like God. You've adopted the very outlook of Satan. And remember what Jesus said to Peter. He said, Peter, Satan is going to shake you so hard that you are going to crack under the pressure. And you remember how Peter responded. Oh, that's not going to happen, he said and thought. He may have even said to himself, hey, I'm with Jesus. He can handle anything that comes my way. And you recall what happened when he went to that garden where Julie read about just a little earlier. What happened? Peter said, boy, I, I feel tired. Jesus told me to watch and to pray lest I enter into temptation but I feel tired. And Peter took a nap. Brothers and sisters, Peter is warning us here about what he did. Because he slept and dozed, he was not prepared. And when the soldiers arrived, he was not ready. And he did the very thing he thought he would never do. He denied his Master, what should Peter have done? What should he have done knowing what Jesus had said to him? Peter, you're the someone. Satan desires to have you, Peter. You're the someone. I think this is what he should have said. Jesus said that he was going to be arrested. And usually it's soldiers who arrest him. I need to believe what he said, and I need to be ready for those soldiers. How can I be ready? Maybe I should ask Jesus, and he will tell me how to be ready. But Peter did none of that. And in the hour of battle, he failed greatly. Somebody has said this. The Christian life is a battleground for soldiers. It is not a playground for children. Do you believe that about your life? Do you believe that your Christian life is a battleground for soldiers? It is not a playground for a child. 
And if you do, if you do believe that, you will do everything necessary to prepare yourself when Satan engages the battle against you. Now the second part of this strategy that Peter gives us is fight defensively. Fight defensively. The word resist here is a word that means to stand up against and defense is in mind. We could use a football analogy here this morning. In football, you know what they say? They say defense wins championships. They also say the best offense is a good defense. And we have, in our battle with Satan, no strategy, no warrant to take on Satan, to control him, or try to bind him in any way. Every now and then you will hear a Christian pray this way, Lord, we bind Satan in the name of Jesus. And sometimes, in their, if they're in a church, they'll pray, Lord, we banish Satan from this place. You know what I want to say to that? Good luck with that. Good luck with that. The Bible says Satan will not be banished or bound until the millennium. And so if that's the case, how are our puny words going to bind him? Far better to pray this way. Lord, there is a spiritual battle that is going on. Help me to recognize the enemy. Help me to respect him. And may I resist him in your strength. Far better to pray that way. You know, as we move along in the series, we're going to be studying together the armor of God. And when you look at the armor of God, what you discover is only one piece of that armor is offensive. It is the sword of the Spirit. All the other pieces of the armor are defensive. They enable us to stand firm when Satan attacks. One pastor has put it this way, and I think this is so very helpful. Spiritual resources, though not automatically effective, are, when used with wisdom, supernaturally effective. That is so helpful. God has given to us spiritual resources in our battle with the, with the evil one. They do not work automatically. We do not live the Christian life on automatic pilot. But if we will use those spiritual resources with wisdom, they will be supernaturally effective. That's the point the Bible makes. And so the way that we fight the devil the best, the way that we stand firm, is by putting on the armor of God. And when we do, we're taking that defensive posture that the Bible says is the key to him resisting. The Apostle James puts it so wonderfully this way. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
I like what one fellow said. He said, I'm not running from the devil. He's running from me. And that's what happens when we're prepared and we fight him defensively. Let's ask the Lord this morning to guide our thinking as we work through this beautiful teaching in the Scripture about how to engage our enemy. Would you bow with me and close your eyes? Just before we sing together a song of dedication and commitment, what is the Lord speaking to your heart this morning? How is He working in your mind about your understanding of the spiritual battle you are in? Can you say, I know that my Christian life is a battleground for a soldier. It is not a playground for a child. And I'm taking Satan very seriously, though I need not be afraid of him. And I'm preparing myself so that I will be able to resist him and stand firm in the faith. I'm learning the lessons that Peter so tragically learned as he failed and then passed along to us in such effective summary so that we might be prepared for the evil one. Whatever the Lord is showing you this morning, respond to him. If you are a believer, thank him that you are in a new kingdom. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness. You are now in the kingdom of God's dear son. And he is the one that will help you fight the battle. If you're not a believer today, you are still a child whose father is the devil. He is the spirit that is working within you. And what you need is the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ that you might be transferred out of his control and brought under the control of a new master. Won't you respond to the Lord Jesus today if you're not sure that you do not know him? And may all of us learn wonderfully what the Lord Jesus Christ wants to do in our lives as we live for him in this fallen world. Thank you, blessed Savior, in your name. Amen.